you please take a seat and do turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're, we're looking at the whole chapter this evening. It's also printed in your, your service sheets for your convenience. Uh, if you prefer to turn there, that's perfectly fine. So we're, we're finishing tonight the, 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 the three marks of the Christian church as part of our, our larger series on the, the essentials of the Christian church. Uh, and so we've, we've looked at uh, the, the preaching of God's word, uh, the, the administration of the sacraments. And tonight we're looking at the third and, and probably the most, the most controversial uh, church discipline. Uh, and so we're, we'll, we'll get into that tonight, just so, so you're aware of what's coming. Uh, we've got two more Sundays before we'll take a, a two-week break for, for Easter um, my family would be traveling a bit, and it just—I I think it's good for us to to step back for a couple of weeks. Um, after Easter, we're going to begin uh, the Book of Daniel, which is going to be great. So next week, we're going to look at a bit about uh, how Christ governs the church, how He calls us as a Presbyterian church to to govern ourselves, and then the following week, we're going to look at uh, finding our place, or, or what does it mean to be a member of a of a local church. Uh, and then we'll take our, our short break uh, and come back for, for Daniel. So that's where we're going over the, the, next, the next few weeks. Now this is uh, 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, it's Paul's, we know it as Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Technically it's his second letter. There's a letter that we can't find. It was lost. Uh, and so this is uh, a second letter that Paul has written to the Corinthians. And then 2 Corinthians is technically third. That, I don't know why I'm telling you this. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the point is, it's the first letter of Paul that we have still in our possession. Uh, and, and the Corinthian church was, was uh, a wild place. Um, it was a, a Greek or a Roman city, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff going on, as you're about to see. Uh, and so 1 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 13, which is the whole, the whole chapter. This is God's word. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as, as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the, the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I 
to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. When I was around um, 10 or 11 years old, I, I decided to, to join a, a youth basketball league in America. And I really just wanted to try out the game and see if I liked it. But at the, the very first practice, our, our coach gathered us all around, and he gave us an extended team talk on how, uh, quote, if you want to be good at basketball, you have to have discipline. And he really emphasized the word discipline. And he talked on and on and on about discipline. And to be fair, he was right. You know, if you, if you want to be good at a sport, any sport, you have to have discipline. You have to work hard. You have to, to uh, uh, consistently train. You know, to, in basketball, you, you've got to work on your shooting motion. You've got to work on your dribbling and your passing. In and, and cricket, a much better sport, you have to, to get the right motion for your bowling or your batting. You have to put in work. You have to be disciplined. But as a young lad, I was, I was really put off by that word. I thought, I don't, I don't want to be disciplined. I just want to play a game. So I actually never went back to that basketball league. And so as we come to talk about the third mark of the church tonight, again, this is sort of the, the minimal standards for what it is to, to have a proper church of Christ. We come to this, this topic of church discipline. And most of us are, are probably like me at the age of, of 10. We're, we're put off by the term, aren't we? There may be uh, any number of reasons why you, you might be. Maybe, maybe you just, you're, you're here for the community. Maybe uh, you just want to practice your faith in your own way. And you want people to, to affirm you in that. And you just happen to like this church. Whatever the reason, I want to encourage us to, to actually be open to this doctrine this evening. This idea, this doctrine of church discipline. Because as, as one of those things that, that's required to, to mark out the church. One of those things that, that we say would, we, is the minimum standard for being a church of Christ. To ignore this doctrine is, is actually to leave our souls in grave peril. So tonight I want to look at a, a real example of church discipline from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And this church certainly had its share of issues. And there's three things for us to see tonight. First of all, what we mean by church discipline Secondly, why we practice church discipline. And then third, who, who is church discipline for? So first, let's begin with what, what we mean by church discipline. I think another way we can, we can think about church discipline is actually simply holding one another accountable. In many ways, the, the most basic level of, of discipline doesn't involve uh, investigations or, or cases coming before a church court, although... Uh, in serious cases, that's what, what we see happen. And again, we'll look at this, this example from Paul in a moment. But on its most basic level, church, church discipline is, is actually simple accountability. We see it actually in Matthew 18, where, where Jesus explains that, that if you're offended by the actions of another believer, or you see a, a brother or sister in sin, then you shouldn't come to me as the minister first thing. You... Their, their brother and sister in Christ should go to them and, and talk to them 
and try and sort it out. You go to them yourself. And if that doesn't work, then, then you get another believer involved. That could be me, but it could be somebody else in the church that you respect and you think they respect. And you go together and you, you try to work things out. And if this brother or sister still, still doesn't listen, and if your, your efforts uh, fail, then you come to the elders. In our case, that's, that's me and we, we have two borrowed elders, two, two men who, who, from other churches who helped look after us. You've, you, most of you have met Richard. Uh, you'll hopefully meet Chris in the coming weeks. But on this, this most basic level, church discipline begins within the context of community. It begins with, with holding one another accountable. It's like what my basketball coach was talking about. It's just that everyday discipline, that, those everyday things that we do to look out for one another and care for one each other and to grow in our faith. We need to have the discipline to work at our faith, don't we? To encourage one another in God's word and in prayer and coming alongside one another when we, when we see another believer struggling. It's, it's calling that person who hasn't been to, at church in a while to make sure they're okay. It's not allowing a, a division to, to rise up in our relationships with one another in the church without uh, approaching the other person humbly to try and reconcile. But what I, I really want to focus on our, our time on this evening is, is talking about this, this, this uh, more formal discipline that, that actually finds its foundation in Matthew 16. Uh, we see an example of it in our passage tonight, but, but in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples uh, a fundamental question. He asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking for, for all of the disciples, says, uh, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're, you're, you're the Messiah. When we've been waiting on. And, and Jesus blesses Peter and the disciples together. And in verse 19 of this blessing, Jesus says this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, what, what Jesus tells Peter and the disciples that what Peter ha- is that what Peter has testified to about Jesus is what the church is to proclaim. He's, and you're to go out to every nation and proclaim that. And wherever people receive the gospel and put their faith in Jesus, then they are bound by Christ in heaven. There, there, there's a certainty there. There's, a, there's a, an absoluteness to, to where they, they will spend eternity. They'll, they'll be part of Christ's kingdom. But he also gives Peter and the disciples the authority to, to loose on earth and therefore loose in heaven. That is, they've been given this authority to, to hold God's people accountable. People who would claim to be followers of, of, of Jesus, they're to hold them accountable for their conduct, for their o- obedience to God's word, by, by declaring them, uh, and, and, and if they see that they're, that, that, uh, their faith wasn't genuine. If they see that they're living in a, in a way that, that doesn't show true, true faith and repentance, then by declaring them outside the body of Christ, they, they loose them, don't they? We can agree that, that this is actually a very serious responsibility, isn't it? 
This is why we consider church discipline to be one of the marks of the Christian church. Because it's a, a responsibility that Jesus gives to his disciples and, and therefore to the earthly leadership of his church. In our case, we're, we're a Presbyterian church. So this responsibility lies with, with the elders. In other churches, this may lie with, with the whole congregation or with bishops, depending on, on how the church is, is set up to, to be governed. We'll, we'll talk about that again more next week. Now tonight, we have an example before us of, of what this, this discipline looked like. Formal church discipline is a, is a serious thing. And therefore, it takes serious churches, churches that are serious about following Jesus, to, to do it. And by that, I mean, you know, we're, we, we've got to be serious about being obedient to Christ. So look at the, the situation in the Corinthian church. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a, it's a total shambles, isn't it? The Corinthian church, verses 1 and 2. Uh, this is what Paul says. It's, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. This is a pretty shocking statement, isn't it? Even for people like us living in an extremely progressive city where we've, we've seen and heard it all, haven't we? But I'd be surprised if any of us have heard this one before. Unless you've read this passage, of course. But a man has his father's wife. Now to be clear, it's, what Paul's most likely referring to is, is uh, a man's stepmother having an affair with his stepmother. But that, that really doesn't make it any better, does it? Uh, maybe, maybe ever so slightly less less creepy, but still horrifically wrong, and still pretty cringeworthy and creepy. You know, this, is, this is objectively awful, isn't it? It's utterly immoral. And Paul says it's the kind of thing that even the pagans wouldn't tolerate. And these are, are some pretty tolerant pagans in first century Corinth. Where they're, they're, they were way more tolerant than, than pagans in 21st century London. I could tell you stories, trust me on that though. Yet what was the reaction of, of the church, the church of Jesus Christ? Paul says they were arrogant about it. I think that's, that's another way of saying they were, they were not non-judgmental. Perhaps they were even a bit affirming of the lifestyle of this man and his, his stepmother. And often that's what we, we think we want from the church, isn't it? People are, who are simply going to to love and affirm us, no matter where we are, no matter what we do. But Paul and Jesus say that's, that's not what the church is called to be. He calls us to real holiness, doesn't he, Jesus? And Paul tells the church here that, that they should actually be heartbroken over this. And what they need to do is actually to remove this person who's, who's involved in this from the church. And he gets pretty explicit about it. And he actually uses language very similar to what, what Jesus said to the disciples back in Matthew. Look at verses 4 and 5 here. When, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now this is what we call excommunication. It's a very serious thing, and it's, it's always heartbreaking for the church 
as well as for the, the person being excommunicated. And we do it very, very, very rarely. And only in the most serious situations of, of unrepentant sin. And that's actually the, the key for us to understand. That what we're, we're talking about here is, is serious unrepentant sin. Sin where the person hasn't, hasn't turned from that sin to Jesus, but rather stubbornly continues in that sin as though it's perfectly acceptable to Christ. When someone is in, in serious unrepentant sin, like, like the man Paul is talking about here, the, the elders go to them and, and, and uh, usually in, in quiet and we, we, we're, we would rebuke them. We would call them to repent. And if they don't, then we can tell them that they, they shouldn't take the sacrament. They shouldn't take the Lord's Supper until they repent. That's why when, whenever we take the Lord's Supper, I, I always do what, what's called fencing the table, where I say if you're, if you're under the discipline of, of some other church or, or of the session, then you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper with us. And if, if that doesn't cause them then to repent, then we have to do what Paul models for us here and excommunicate them from the church. That is to send them out of the church, to treat them as an unbeliever, which is what Paul in part means by, by handing them over to Satan. It's counting them not as among the number of Christ, so they're, they're amongst the, the people of Satan. And you may be thinking, that, that sounds really harsh. And it does, doesn't it? Particularly for people living in a culture that tells us we should be allowed to live however we see fit. And amongst a culture where people look at the churches, it's just a nice community group. And it's just a great hobby. You go to church, I like to go to yoga. You go to church, I like to, to play cricket on a Sunday. You go to church, I go to the golf course. And we, we would never imagine getting sent away for, for doing something like this or, or anything else, would we? So you're probably wondering why a church would do this. And so I hope our second point sheds some light on that. Our second point this evening is why we practice church discipline. First of all, let's keep in mind that uh, the primary sort of overarching reason why we, we practice church discipline is, again, because Jesus commands his church to do so. And it's Jesus' church, isn't it? Grace Church Hammersmith isn't, isn't my church. It's not the International Presbyterian Church's church. It's the Church of Christ Jesus so we're bound to be obedient to him. But I want to offer uh, two reasons why Jesus commands this. First, Jesus commands this, and Paul commands this, to hopefully restore a believer. Did you notice that about verse 5? Paul says, you, you deliver the man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That is so that they can, they can feel the guilt of their sin. That they might experience the earthly but temporal consequences of their sin with the hope that in experiencing that and feeling that, they might once again turn to Christ in repentance. Paul says that, that he wants them to do this so that their spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. We, we do this so that people might turn to Christ. You see, you can't have church discipline properly if there isn't, isn't, if there isn't real love for the person you're disciplining and a desire for them to return to Jesus. What we have to, to understand about love and about proper love 
which in, includes the love of Christ for us, is, is that it, it is never this, this unconditional love that you, you hear people in our world talking about. You know, you, you've heard that, haven't you? You just want someone to love you unconditionally. Well, the, the dirty truth about unconditional love is that it's, it's a complacent love. It says that it doesn't matter what you do. You can, you can abuse me. You can treat me in the most unloving and revolting way imaginable. And I'll still love you. You know, most of us may think we want to be loved like that. But, but who's going to love you like that? No one, no, no one in their right minds will, will they? No one who truly understands love will. Rather, the love of Christ in this church is a love that calls us to be washed in Christ, to be renewed more and more after his image, to, to more and more each day to, to strive to look a little bit more like Jesus in our lives. And it doesn't mean we never sin. Huh? We sin a whole lot, don't we? been doing my fair share of sinning even today haven't I but what we want to do is is to more and more recognize that sin and to turn away from it repenting and turning to Christ you see the love of Christ is a is a transforming love not an unconditional love it's a transforming love it, it takes us where and as we are and it calls us to be who Christ created us to be through His grace working itself out in us. And He's called His church to reflect that. But there are times when the way we live, or, or, or the way some of us might live, that's diametrically opposed to that. And that's what Paul's dealing with here in the Corinthian church, isn't it? You see, the implications of, of that love, the love of Christ, is that we're called by Jesus as His church to, to call out those who are living in unrepentant sin. And particularly when that, that sin is really obvious, like the case we see Paul dealing with in Corinth. But our hope and prayer is always that, that the person being disciplined will, will one day turn to Christ and return to his church. Now the second reason we, we practice discipline is, is to protect the purity of the church. Look back at, at verses 6 through 8. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the whole leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul's, Paul's tying this back to to the Old Testament Passover, but, but he uses this illustration from uh, of the bread, doesn't he? Bread making. Lots of us got into bread making during the lockdown, so we should be able to, to grasp this picture a little bit. But what Paul says is that a, a little leaven, a, a little yeast, will change the, the whole character of a loaf of bread. Most of us uh, have only ever made bread with, with yeast or some kind of leaven, right? Uh, even even soda bread that, that doesn't have yeast, but it has other things that, that causes that bread to be leavened. You know, most breads we make are yeasted breads, but in Paul's day, they would, they would often make uh, unleavened breads or, or bread without yeast, something that was really quick to put together. The Israelites did it in Egypt because they were, they were making it quick before they, had to, before they had to leave, before they were let out by God. But what Paul says is the, the yeast changes the whole character of the entire loaf of bread. 
even a few little bits of it in there, are, are going to make the bread completely different. So Paul's saying if we're in Christ, if the church is indeed the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, then we need to more and more reflect the purity of Christ. We need to be what Christ calls us to be. And if that's unleavened bread, then we need to make sure that, that we are that. If that's his, his pure spotless bride, then we need to, to work really hard to be that. And again, that doesn't mean you and I are completely without sin. Uh, the leaven in, in this case are the, the people who not only aren't trying, but are living lives in, opposition, lives in opposition to the righteousness of Christ. People who don't want to be his true bride. People who would rather live as, as they see fit to do things that even, even pagans would consider reprehensible. These are people whose faith is not genuine. They want to live as they want to live, yet still be acknowledged by Jesus. But this isn't what, what Jesus calls us to. He says that he's paid for our sins, and now we ought to live all of our lives for him. You see, as, as a church, we don't discipline because we're mean, and we don't discipline because we're heavy-handed. We don't discipline because we just don't like someone and they get on our nerves. We practice discipline rightly when we do it out of a desire to call sinners back to Jesus and when we're seeking to preserve the purity of the church of Christ. Now, admittedly, we have to be very careful and very humble about this, don't we? You, you could spend much of your life in a church and possibly not hear about a case of, of discipline in that church. And, and often the reason is that it's, it's because we, we don't do this to publicly shame people. Often these things will, will happen in private, especially if, if the sin is private sin that isn't widely known. You know, the, the church in Corinth, it was, it was very public, wasn't it? And we have it here before us today preserved for us because this is a very, very public sin. And so it had to be addressed and dealt with in a public way. Not to shame the person, but to call them back to Christ. Now some of you may be wondering, isn't, isn't the process open, open to abuse? Couldn't I just be, you know, a, a, a bad person who, who uses this process to do harm? And, and the truth is that any, any process can be abused. We should, we should acknowledge that. We should come to that with, with eyes wide open. And often, sometimes, uh, it gets abused accidentally. It's hard to fully understand complex situations in real time. So there's a real weight and burden for, for the elders who have, to, who have to walk through these things. Your life for everyone is, is messy and it's hard. Which is why we, we try to take discipline very, very slowly. And the truth is, we may get things wrong. But the, the good news is that there's, there is actually accountability within our, our Presbyterian system. That, that if somebody... If a, if a person feels that, that they've been hard done in the process, if they, if they feel that, that the process hasn't been fair, then they can complain to a higher church court. If they feel they've been mistreated by their local elders, they, they have somewhere they can turn. Again, it can get messy and it's hard, but, but we do it because Jesus calls us to represent him and to care for his people and to call all of us to, to holiness and righteousness. Which brings us to our last point. 
Who is, is church discipline for? Notice what Paul says here, particularly in verses 9 through 11. I'm not going to read them again, but he really says that, that church discipline is, is for those in the church. Those who, who have, have claimed Christ as, as their own. They've, they've taken membership. It's, it's for those who, who, uh, who want to claim that they're, they're following Jesus. But then they don't live as though they're following him. And the implications of that is, is that that discipline is for, for all of those in the church, potentially, including your minister. I'm, I'm a man under authority, just like everyone else. I'm accountable to other ministers and elders in the church. And I've, I've said this before. I, I, don't, I, I think it's worth repeating. Uh, if you find me in sin, or if you find me teaching things I shouldn't be teaching, or, or, or you think my doctrine has gone skewed and wrong, then you should actually call a minister or an elder in another IPC church and raise your concern with them. You should start there. there there's ways to hold me accountable. And you, don't even, you, you, and, and you should take advantage of that if you have real concerns. We take this very seriously. Just, just last year in, in uh, the presbytery, we had to try a case of a minister. It was, it was incredibly hard. And it was difficult for all of us involved, but, but we did it out of a love for our brother and a desire to, for, for him to, to see his need to repent. And we did it out of a desire also to, to protect the church. But the other thing that should strike us on this point is that actually Paul says you should be interacting with people outside this room. Did you see that? Did you get that? That, that, that the people in this world who don't follow Jesus, and, and that Paul says you, sh- you shouldn't expect them to. You shouldn't expect them to, to live up to the same values that you live by. And, and that's great, isn't it? Paul says you should have friends that, that are people who, who may say and do things that, that you wouldn't say and do. You should have friends who, who maybe make you cringe. And he says that because we're called to be salt and light in this world. We, we heard that a few weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't we? Church discipline is for the family of God's people, not, not for the people out there. It's, it's for the people in here. The people who claim Christ as their own. It's an intimate responsibility that we take very seriously because Jesus calls us to take it seriously. And this is one of the, the reasons why at Grace Church uh, we take membership seriously. And we're going to talk more about membership in the weeks to come. But, but our, our membership vows, in those you're proclaiming that you're following Jesus and that you're willing to, to love and care for others in the church, and that you're willing to, to listen to the elders of the church, even when they have hard things to say to you, and you're willing to submit to their discipline, even if that should become necessary. See, in membership, you're, you're being marked out as belonging to this local body, and declaring that you recognize the authority of Christ that has been given to the, the ministers and elders and you're willing to, to humbly submit to it. And we don't require this of anybody in order to attend the church. We don't require you to be a member. But we do want you to, to seriously consider membership. Again, because we think this is what Jesus has called us to. And we'll talk more about it in a, in a couple of weeks' time. But some of you may be sitting there going, this sounds completely bonkers. I've never been to a church like this before. It sounds completely nuts. 
You may be like me with my, my basketball coach all those years ago. You may be thinking, I don't, I don't want to go back here. And I'll admit that you have to be really serious about following Jesus to join a church like this. And I recognize, too, that you have a, a, a lot of, you have to have a lot of trust in the minister and the elders to do this rightly. And I know our world today, there's, there isn't a lot of trust in any authority because most authorities get it so wrong, don't we? See, in taking membership in a church that, that takes seriously church discipline, you're, you are making yourself vulnerable. And what I want to say in, in closing is that we may not always get this right. We may not always get these things right. And I'm, I'm sorry if we don't. And if we don't, I'll aim to be the very first person to take responsibility for that. The thing I want us to, to see is that actually Jesus calls us to this community. And he's the one who makes us vulnerable in it. And he does it because he wants us to, to trust him more. And he wants us to, to let him do the, the work of making us holy. He'll, he'll often use broken and sinful men, like, like your minister, to do it. But the calling of the gospel and the, the calling of, of Jesus is to become part of his body, the church, and to, to trust that even though that body feels really messy and often messed up, and, and, and uh, the, like, like the church in Corinth was really messed up, and even though Grace Church might, might feel really messy at times, Jesus is the one who is working in his church and in you and I to make us his pure bride. And that's what, what Paul was aiming at in 1 Corinthians 5, he wanted the church of Christ to be the pure bride of Christ. And that's what we should want for Grace Church Hammersmith. That's what we should want for one another. So I hope that, that we'll bear with one another and carry one another's burdens. That we'll take seriously our calling to, to love one another and to love Christ and to want to live our lives for Him. Let us pray.